Almas Bar Radio. Notes and commentary on Arab and Islamic issues from Almas Bar Studies and Research Center in Dubai. A new monthly book by Almas Bar Center examines Islam in Indonesia with a special focus on the phenomenon of Islamization and the use of Islam as a political tool. It examines the so-called liberal or free Islam network, the LIN in Indonesia, the diverse practices of the faith as a whole, and the country's special history of fostering tolerance and coexistence, both within the society and in the country's relationship with foreign powers. The volume also reviews the history of Sufism and Shiism in the country, and viewed together, these subjects provide an overview of a fascinating model for religious pluralism. The first study of the volume, The Beginnings of Indonesian Islamization, is the work of Ali Muhyiddin al-Alusi, a professor at Thamar University in Yemen. Alusi presents a historical overview of the factors that contributed to Indonesian Islamization since the dawn of the faith. He shows that commerce, not military invasion, was the most important means through which the religion spread. There had been active trading among the islands of the Indonesian archipelago, extending far beyond its waters to China, India, and the Arabian Gulf. Ties of friendship through profitable commercial dealings became a channel for the free exchange of ideas, and many Indonesians were compelled by Islam's proposition as a deen or life system. In addition to narrating the history of Islamization in Indonesia, the study also deconstructs ideological narratives of the subject now being advanced by Islamist parties. Moving forward in time, the next study comes to us from Dr. Buhania Gui, professor of political science at the University of Wargla in Algeria. He parses Islamist trends in Indonesia today with special attention to the radical streams and their stance on state-sponsored efforts at modernization. Gui argues that it is impossible to separate the relationship of political Islam and democracy on the one hand from the relationship between Islam and the state on the other. He illustrates the inherent tension between political ideologies of Islamism and the five principles, a sort of official mission statement which has been used to define the Indonesian state. There is sometimes a conflict between proponents of the two. Gui notes that the vast majority of Indonesians are Muslim and follow Sunni tradition, but for them, as well as for the country's non-Sunni Muslims, beliefs about the role of Islam in government differ widely. Like their fellow Muslims elsewhere in the region, Indonesians nonetheless share a desire to apply Islamic principles in some form to the political system. One can't talk about Islamic streams in Indonesia, or elsewhere for that matter, without understanding the impact of the ideology of the Muslim Brotherhood. This subject is addressed in the book by Dr. Kamaluddin Nuruddin Marjuni, head of the Da'wah, Islamic Proselytization Department at the Islamic University of Malaysia. The paper notes the deep roots of the Muslim Brotherhood in Indonesia. Its ideology first appeared on the archipelago generations ago. The Brotherhood played an important role in the struggle for Indonesian independence. Its largest manifestation today is the Prosperous Justice Party, which grew on the foundation of the Muslim Brotherhood's long-term efforts to educate and inculcate the population. Marjuni's study shows how the writings and teachings of the Brotherhood's leading ideological voices, Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Khutb, Yusuf al-Qaradawi, and others, were translated into local languages and widely disseminated. 
He notes the prominence of Karadawi's work in particular in Indonesia today. Dr. Luay Abdelbaki, director of the Hikmah Institute for Arab and Islamic Studies in Liverpool, Australia, has chosen to study Indonesia's liberal Islam network. It is an intellectual forum with chapters across the country concerned with discussing and spreading the concept of Islamic liberalism. Abdelbaki breaks down phases of the group's development as a cultural and political stream that opposes militant ideologies in the country. He finds that foreign financial support, though a vital resource for any political group in the region, has been the principal region for the, has been the principal reason for the group's failure. Strident Islamist groups have used the fact that the LIN receives foreign funding to cast suspicion on the group and marginalize it. Muslim liberals in the country recognize this problem and are struggling to address it. The author shows how the LIN has crafted itself as more an ideological stream than a political party, trying to persuade Indonesians of differing political persuasions that its ideas are the only rational, moderate, and non-Western approach to countering the spread of extremism. It has achieved a modicum of media success, earning its sympathy among some political parties, particularly those representing minorities and secularists, and enabling it to reach beyond the borders of Indonesia to garner financial support. But these very gains have come at the expense of its ideological credibility as an authentically Islamic movement. Most Muslims in Indonesia and Southeast Asia, broadly speaking, view liberal Islamic organizations with suspicion. Many view the tenets of liberalism as heresy. LIN will face great difficulties in addressing the large gap that separates it from most Indonesian Islamic communities. Hopes at the present time are largely pinned on LIN's outreach to more long-standing moderate groups, in particular the Nahdlat al-Ulama and Muhammadiyah organizations, which have maintained their Islamic identity and esteem throughout the history of modern Indonesia. In the next study, researcher Muhammad Abdul Fattah, himself an Indonesian Islamist, examines the life story of one of the most prominent figures in Indonesian Islamism, Abu Bakr Ba'asir. The study chronicles Ba'asir's intellectual and political evolution from his early activism to later ties to al-Qaeda and successive arrests. Abdul Fattah sheds light on the social context in which Ba'asir made his political choices and became involved with terrorism. Dr. Anis Taha, an associate professor at the International Islamic University in Malaysia, specializes in Sufism, Islam's mystical strand. His contribution to this volume traces Sufism's arrival and early development in Indonesia and the great extent to which Indonesians embraced and continued to spread it. Muhammad Awauda, for his part, has conducted a study about the Shiites of Indonesia. He notes that the Iranian Shiite Islamist revolution in 1979 elevated Shiism's profile and importance in Indonesia. Awauda shows that Shiites in Indonesia have developed organizational, educational, and media tools to make the case for their views in the broader population. The study also examines the presence of Hezbollah and other transnational Shiite groups on Indonesian soil. In each monthly volume, El Misbar Center also publishes a study of the month on an entirely different topic. This month's piece is by Nuri Jassin, a researcher specializing in Sufism and interfaith dialogue. The paper examines the relationship between Sufism and politics, taking Jassin's native Iraq as a case study, and includes an exploration of the Sufi Bay'ah, or Pledge of Allegiance. It investigates the relationship of Sufism with Islamist movements and how and why the two have come to blows. 
Finally, returning to the general vicinity of Indonesia, this book contains an excerpt from Islam's Presence in the Malay Archipelago, The Cases of Indonesia and Malaysia, a new book by Dr. Raythan bin Ali bin Jures, prepared by researcher Muhammad Awawda. The book highlights Islam's main contributions to Malaysia. Arab Muslims invented a method for writing the Malaysian language, until then mainly an oral language, and taught Arabic to a great many people in the Malay archipelago. Arabic culture has also had a significant impact on culture and literature in the country, notably poetry and short fiction. Islamic education played an important role in filling the educational void Malaysians were left with after centuries of Hindu rule. Binjurais finds that Muslim countries generally supported each other politically, economically, socially, culturally, and intellectually, owing to their sense of connectivity through a shared faith. He argues that the advent of Western imperialism played a role in altering this dynamic, introducing new politics and conflicts which Muslims endured until waging their jihads for independence. This volume of Al-Misbar's monthly book was compiled with devotion by Jordanian researcher Muhammad Awawda. He has our full gratitude and sincere appreciation. You've been listening to Al-Misbar Radio. For more information about the center and its work, or to contribute research to our monthly publications, browse www.almesbar.net.